0: I know you love listening to, is it a brogue? Is it a Scottish brogue? Is that what you call it? Who likes a Scottish brogue? It's very pleasant to listen to, isn't it? It's, it's just like soothing. Sometimes I wonder what you're saying, but uh, it's soothing, right? I wonder what word he meant there, and then I, oh yeah, that's what it is. So uh, fantastic, fantastic. i got to honour Pastor Neil. He works very, very hard behind the scenes, does so much. If I ever need something, it's past the Neil that I ring. I go, Neil, I need this. Can you do this? And it's always yes. And that's what I love. Even if he has not not any clue of what to do, he still says yes, right? And then works it out afterwards. So good morning. If you're wondering why I'm smiling this morning, it's because my wife is back. Nina is back (laughs) from Adelaide. So notice I have shaved today, right? I've shaved today and I'm wearing the same colour socks, right? So uh, it's, it's good. My life is organised again. So Nina is preaching at Morayfield this morning, so sadly I couldn't sit next to her in church. I have to wait till tonight for that to happen. But uh, it's good to have her back. And uh, she made me some beautiful chicken soup last night, which is good for my soul and good for my feeling a little bit under the weather body. So uh, what's our theme for this year? What is it? That's right. So today we're going to go through a day in the life of Jesus and we're going to see how he exampled living. What did it look like for Jesus to live? What did Jesus do in his day? What kind of motivated Jesus? How did Jesus live? Now, to be honest, there are many days. The four Gospels are three years Of the days of Jesus. So there are many choices that I could speak from this morning. There are many places which I could actually kind of go, well, let's choose this day, or or let's choose that day. But the day that I'm gonna choose is a is a time where the Bible actually takes almost a full chapter to describe one story. Now that doesn't actually happen too often, right? If you've got three years of Jesus' life. Then, like, it, there's a lot to say. In fact, John says at the end of his gospel, he goes, All the books in the world couldn't actually contain all the stories of Jesus. And the reason is, the stories of Jesus are still happening today, right? The, books of the, the, the story of Jesus is still being written. You know, just this morning, I had a lady come to me and tell me of the fact that she'd had a blood disorder and she'd come up for prayer. A number of times when we've asked at the beginning or during service, you know, someone would come forward. And she came to me this morning and said, all my white cells are now in order. She's been healed. See, the stories of Jesus are still happening today. So we're going to look at this particular story that takes a whole chapter or almost a whole chapter of the Bible to describe if the story I cho- have chosen is the story of the woman at the well. And with Pastor Shane Willard speaking so excellently, talking about a thirsty church, talking about a church that's a church of wells, not of fences, I actually think it's a great story to use. To be honest, when Pastor Shane preached that message, it hit me. Like I, I, I love listening to preaching. I hear a lot of preaching. I've been in 10,000 meetings over my Christian life, so I've heard a lot of sermons. But every now and again, you get a sermon that just hits you right deep. And that sermon hit me deep. And it was very interesting because just after the meeting, Pastor Shane said to me, he goes, that is the most Elmo uh, pertinent sermon I've ever written. Meaning like, because they call me Elmo, Elmendorf, Elmo, right? So he goes, that's the most Elmo, pertinent message I've ever, ever written. And it was true. And it was amazing because that day was the day we opened the building of Morayfield. And so I was contemplating how do I describe Morayfield? How do I say what I feel for our church? And a guest preacher, and I was a little bit ticked off actually, right? A guest preacher comes and articulates how I think about church better than I can. And I'm thinking it. Right? So I'm thinking this is wrong, something's weird here, but uh, it, it was good. So you'll be hearing about wells and thirstiness a lot over the next period of time, and I want to preach about that this morning. So this day in the life of Jesus perfectly sums up being a well church, not a fence church, and being thirsty for the things of God. So I'm going to pray. Father... I would ask that you would take my words this morning and that you would help people, O God. Father, open up their understanding. Let them see, O God. Father, let them not just hear, let them not just understand, but let them see it, O God. Let them be able to interpret what it is that you are saying. Lord, use me as your voice today to speak to people that they can hear what you are saying to them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going to read from John 4 and we're going to start in verse 4. Sorry, we're going to start in verse 1. That's a good start to start a chapter. All right. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sikar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, uh, so let's go. So Jesus is doing ministry. He hears that the Pharisees, the religious kind of... Uh, Experts of the day, the ones who held power of the day, they'd heard that he'd been making disciples that he was baptizing people. So he decides, I just I'm weary of all of this chewing and froing and conflicting. I'm just gonna get out of here. Jesus had no interest in getting involved in a religious argument. See, the Pharisees were the people who were trying to stop people from entering in. And they tested Jesus and everything that he did and everything that he said. And Jesus didn't want to waste time with that. He didn't have time to get into a religious argument. But then we see not long later when he meets the woman at the well, he's actually quite interested in getting into an argument around religion, or not so much an argument, but a, a discussion around religion. Because it wasn't a discussion that Jesus was shying away from, he was actually shying away from people that weren't thirsty, that already knew it all, that didn't want to hear anything about the risen Saviour, didn't want to hear anything about Jesus. He didn't want to hear, they, they'd already made up their mind. And and Jesus wasn't interested. later on he says, why cast your pearls before pigs, before swine? He goes, there's a, there's a point that's just, pointless arguing with these people. They've already made up their minds. I'm not even going to bother getting involved with this. And he goes to the woman at the well whose mind was very open and on all the outward ways not right. The Pharisees on the outward ways seemed right, but he shied away from that. So the Pharisees knew it all, but they had no thirst at all. The woman at the well, she uh, knew nothing at all, yet was thirsty to know it all. So Jesus is going to Galilee from Judea and he takes the most direct route. He goes through Samaria. So you want to know where Samaria is? It's now known as the West Bank. So when you hear West Bank on the news now, that's the old Samaria. So Jesus right here shows that he's not a racist of any kind at all. See, a Jew back then would never go through Samaria. Samaria. They would take a way that was about 40 kilometres longer so that they would not have to go through Samaria. So 40 kilometres when you're walking is a whole day. And it was a hotter way and it was a steeper way. So Jesus decides, no, I'm not going to do all that. I'm going to go straight through Samaria. So it had nothing to do with safety. It was a fact that Jews hated Samarians they were prejudiced against them that's why they would walk the long way rather than go the direct way but jesus decides no i'm going through to uh, samaria i'm going the direct way see the jews were prejudiced against the samaritans years of systematic racism had dehumanized the samaritans in the eyes of the jews so they'd rather walk all this way all this way out of the way Rather than have anything to do with Samaritans, but not Jesus, he goes right through Samaria. See, racism has always been an anathema to God. It's the very opposite of who God is. Racism has no place in the kingdom of God. It has no place in the church of God, and it definitely has no place in a merged church. We all matter to God. We're all of equal value to God. Jesus died for every nationality. And geography or the color of your skin should be of no advantage or disadvantage to anyone in the kingdom. Jesus didn't die for the Jew or the Greek, for black or white, for, for any He died for us all. Didn't die for male, female. He died for us all. And I love this because Jesus is directly saying, no. I 'm not putting up with this. This may have been going on for years, but I'm not putting up with this. Everyone is of equal value, and these Samaritans, they need to hear about me, and you'll see later as the story goes on, what an effect it actually did have. So why was there an animosity? It doesn't, an animosity, and prejudice doesn't just grow up in a vacuum. It doesn't just wake up one day. Normally, something has happened in the history. That has caused those things to happen. And it actually had happened many years before. The Israelites, because of their rebellion, had been taken captive to Babylon. And the Babylonian king had resettled another group of people in that area where the Jews had come from. And so they'd settled there and they made up uh, the people there. And they started having their families and doing their jobs and doing the things that they did. And they started their own religion, which was a mixture of the Jewish religion. So the Samaritans only believed in the first five books of the Bible the, 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 uh, the, of the Jewish Old Testament. And, so they only, and then they mixed pagan practices. And then they eventually built their own temple right there at Mount Gerizim, where Jesus is, instead of the holy temple there in Jerusalem. Right? So... This was a real slap in the face to the Jews. And that's why they decided that they, uh, we're not going to like the Samaritans and we're not going to have anything to do with the Samaritans. See, Jesus takes down the fence of racism and he creates a well. So Jesus is tired. It's about 6 p.m. at night. John, throughout his gospel, uses Romans times, he doesn't use Jewish times, so that's why we know. It's 6 p.m. at night, not midday, as sometimes it's spoken. And he stops up for a rest, while the disciples go off and buy some food. The Bible tells later which was meat. Another one, well, that's not a sermon for now. All right, John 4:7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink, for his disciples are gone in the city to buy food." The Samaritan woman said to him, "How is it that you, a Jew," Ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. The Bible says, it talks about it here, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus talks to a woman in public. That is a no-no. We actually see that later on when the disciples come back, They're amazed that he's actually talking to a woman. See, Jesus was a rabbi and so was instructed not to speak to a woman in public. A rabbi was not allowed, not even their wives or their sisters were they allowed to speak to in public. How funny is it? There was a rabbinical law that said this. Think about this. It is better to burn the law than to give it to a woman. In that culture... Women were seen and regarded as totally unable to understand complicated subjects like theology and religion. Wow. Right? Like crazy. Right? Like crazy. Jesus takes down the fence of sexism and he creates a world. Just as he had taken down the fence of racism and created a world, he now takes down the fence of sexism and creates as well. Religion's always creating fences. Jesus is always creating wells. The Samaritan woman, she's, she's surprised that Jesus is talking with her. But Jesus doesn't go on about. It. He immediately addresses the internal state of her heart, not her outward appearance. He doesn't see the outward need. He doesn't address the outward. He does a little bit later. But right now, the first thing he does, he he looks at her knee. He sees immediately that the woman, though coming to draw natural water from the well, is actually in need of spiritual water. Jesus could see in her a thirst. There was a thirst inside of her, a, a, a dissatisfaction. You know that feeling that we have when we're thirsty. We just want a drink. It it is something that we can't get kind of rested until we had a drink. Have you ever gone to bed, tried to go to sleep, but you're thirsty? And you're thinking, oh, I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to get up. But you can't go to sleep until you have that drink. And that's what it's like. You can't get rested. And he sees that restlessness. He sees that dissatisfaction within her spirit. And that's what he addresses Jesus could see a thirst, and a thirst for God will always attract the attention of Jesus. Jesus addresses it by saying, Give me a drink. Shocked, the woman replies, Are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? He's just smashing fences and and making wells. He doesn't address the natural thirst, but the spiritual one when he says, If you understood who I was, then you would ask me for living water. The woman doesn't get it. Although Jesus is speaking figuratively, she's taking him literally. This is what she says. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well. And drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. She's puzzled. She's thinking living water. She she probably thought because she you know doesn't understand. She's thinking in a natural. She's probably thinking running water. She's not probably thinking living water. What does that mean? This is a world. This is not. She didn't. Jesus didn't have a rope. He didn't have a bucket. Where's he going to get this water from? Because that's how they'd have to get the water. There was a, a rope and a bucket and, and they'd have to put that in and drill, because the well was many metres deep. He didn't have a way to, to get the water and, and it certainly wasn't running water. It's a well. It's just sitting there. It's, it's, it's not running water. But Jesus goes on and explains. Jesus said to everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not talking about the water in the well. Because if you drink of that, you'll thirst again. Jesus did not. He says, if you drink of my water, you'll never never thirst again. So he's not actually saying, you take one drink and that's it. You'll never drink again. You never need to drink again. What he's saying, he goes, you won't have to keep coming back. There's always going to be a supply of water for you. See, we don't understand that. When I want to brush my teeth in the morning, I just turn on the tap put, it, and there's water comes out. There's water in the laundry. There's water in the kitchen. There's water in the bathroom. There's water outside. I can go to a number of taps all over my house. Water will just come out. It's always there, right? That's, I don't have to go out somewhere in Albany Creek to a well, put my bucket down. I don't have to go out. I've got water all the time. And that's what Jesus is saying. He goes, when you have me in your life, I'm with you all the time. I'm with you all the time. You don't have to keep going out somewhere. I'm with you. It's I am inside you. You don't need that any longer. You, it does, it's not saying that you'll never have to need water again or you won't feel... It's saying you always have the water with you. it will always be available. But she still isn't getting it. She's still thinking it's natural water. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus then sees something's holding her back. She's not getting it. She's not seeing it. She's just thinking completely in the natural. And when you think completely in the natural, you'll never ever really get what Jesus is saying because Jesus speaks to our spirit. Jesus speaks to us here, not so much here. He'll use the things of this world to speak to us. But it's here that we hear and understand Jesus. But there's something breaking, something distracting, something, a barrier between her understanding. So Jesus addresses the outside. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband. And come here. The woman answered and said, "I have no husband." Jesus said to her, "You are right in saying I have no husband. If you had five husbands, and the one you are now that the one and the one you have now have is not your husband, what you have said is true." So Jesus just calls her out. And to be honest, even in our society in two thousand twenty-one, someone who's had five husbands and now living with someone, even that's noteworthy. Right? Like that's someone whoa I met a lovely lady, so she'd be married five times, right? Like even now. So back then you think, and this is a big deal. And what happens? Jesus is wanting her to come to a recognition of her state and a revelation of who she of who he is. See, there has to be some repentance before we can access the revelation. Of living water. Now, repentance isn't oh, I'm sorry, God. Repentance is I recognize where I am now and the direction my life is heading, and I choose to turn around and go the other way. So, if I was walking this way and I came to a recognition that I was headed for a fall, I would turn around, and that is a picture of repentance. It's a repentance is the recognition. Jesus is pointing out to her the direction of her life is wrong, but she can turn around and walk in his revelation. See, repentance is our part. Belief and regeneration is God's part. There's something in her soul that, that, that makes her need the love of a man for her to feel value. Five husbands are now living with someone else. Jesus recognised the emptiness of her soul. No matter how many men she had, it wasn't going to deal with her thirst. She would always be thirsty again. And if you looked for real satisfaction in anything of the world, you will actually be thirsty again. It will get, whatever it is, you might have money or you need more money. You might get the car of your dreams and then all of a sudden you see the same car in another colour and wish you had one of those. It's insatiable our appetites to be satisfied in the natural. But when we're satisfied in the spiritual and drink of Jesus' living water, all of a sudden we're never thirsty again. And all the other stuff doesn't make a difference and doesn't amount to a hill of beans. So Jesus... Is gently leading her to a recognition of the drought of her own soul. Jesus is breaking down the fence of sin and creating a well. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. That's a good good pick up. He just recognised that five husbands, another one you're living with now isn't your husband. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship it's often preached that this is an evasive tactic by the woman, that she's bringing up this religious argument to kind of say, hey, uh, 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 you're touching stuff you don't need to know about here. Stop getting into my personal life. And and she's kind of like backing away from Jesus. I want to tell you that is never the response of anyone who deals with Jesus. The response of anyone who deals with Jesus is, is I'm going to come closer. It's not a a backing away. When Jesus brings something up in our lives, it's not to push us further away from Him. When Jesus brings up something in our lives, it's to draw us closer to Him because He is the answer in that issue. Jesus never uses shame, guilt, condemnation to draw us to Himself. It's not how He works. The Bible actually says the opposite. It's the kindness of God. That leads us to repentance. So when she brings this up, she's not saying it in a way to get out. She's saying it in a way to get in. How can I get this water? Religion is stopping me. I I go to this temple or that temple. Do I do this? Do I do that? I want the water. She's not bringing it up in a way of like, just try and prove it to me. She's saying, I want the water, but religion is stopping me. I don't know whether I need to do this, whether I need to do that. Do I need to go here? Do I need to go there? Do I need to do this offering? Do I need to do that offering? What do I need to do? When she brings that up, it's an actual indication of her thirst for God. God, Jesus has gotten through. Jesus has gotten through and activated now a step. There's your repentance. Seen her droughtful state and it's made her thirsty And now I want this water. She's no longer talking about the water of the well. She's talking about the water that Jesus has been speaking with. She's not feeling shame. She's feeling thirst. Jesus is broken through and she's believing what Jesus said. She's thirsty for what Jesus is offering. Jesus is showing her the drought of her soul through a revelation of her sinful state. And she just wants to change direction. Her mentioning her ancestors wasn't to engage Jesus in argument, but rather a declaration of her cry. I'm thirsty. How can I get this living water? How do I find God? And how do I know that? Because you look at Jesus' response. He doesn't engage her. He just says, This woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here, where true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is saying, hey, soon it's not going to be about temples. It's not going to be about sacrifices. It's not going to be about observances and, and rituals and the like. Soon it won't be about geography, about this mountain or the other mountain. It'll be about your spirit. It's about your living water. It'll be about rivers of living water coming from you. That your spirit and God's spirit have they've joined together and connected and you have become born again. Jesus is taking down the fence of religious practice and creating a world in spirit and in truth. What it's saying is it goes, your worship now is going to come from here. It's not going to be because you have to. See, before it was all because I have to. I'm a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. This is what we believe. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Muslim. This is what I've got to do. I'm this. I'm that. I've got to do this to get right. That's what I've got to do. That's what it's all about. And so it's not of spirit. It's of compulsion. It's of regulation. It's of law. You have to. If you want access to this, you have to. There's nothing of spirit in it at all. But once your spirit gets born again, there's this drawing. There's this drawing. You know, recently, there was a young man who was at a big night and he was going past Morayfield and he saw the signs and he, uh, I'm going in there. Hadn't sleep that night. Went in there and just got gloriously saved. Right, just got gloriously saved. And I want to tell you, he's at every church meeting there is. Right, if I did church at three o'clock on a Thursday morning, he would be there. Right, and 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 he's bringing his friends. And now his friends are getting saved. Let me tell you, he's worshiping in spirit. It's not because he has to. No one's telling him, well, you're a Christian now. You better go to church twice on Sunday. You better go to life group. You better go to this prayer meeting. You better go to that leader's meeting. You better, you better, you better, you better, you better. He's just like, oh, I'm thirsty. Oh, I heard there's a well over here. Oh, I want a drink. Hey, come guys, come listen. This. I've got this well over here. It's a response. And that's one of the things that, that I was convicted over when I listened to Pastor Shane. How thirsty am I? Have I got used to it all? It's just what, it's nice. It's all right. It's just what I got. Or is there still a thirst for the things of God in my heart? And then it says in truth. It's true. I'm I'm not worshipping. See how good I worship? Look at me. You know, I'm not worshipping for any other reason. Oh, Pastor Mark wants us to worship. I worship now. No, I worship because it's true. I don't worship because I have to. Oh, what time is it? I want to have dinner today. Oh. Right? Like, no, it's, it's the truth of worship. It's real. It's real. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the worship that moves the hand of God. That's the worship that gains the attention of God. It's in spirit and in truth. There's nothing of have to in it. There's nothing of have to in it. And that's why we've got to keep. Our hearts soft. We've got to keep our hearts soft. I've said this before, but it just bears repeating, at least once a month I just look at my life and I say, "When was the last time I just read the Bible because I was reading? Not because I needed a sermon, not because I, I, I was looking for a particular thing, but because I just wanted to hear what God said. When was the last time I, I just worshiped God and, and had tears? On my, now I'm a crier, you might not be a crier, but, but, but when there was an actual tangible sense of God's presence. When was the last time God spoke to me about something that didn't really matter? It's not going to send me to hell, but you, know, go, you walk past that person, you even say hello, go back and say hi, or go back and say goodbye, or, or give something back you know, that you've borrowed, or, or something, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to hell because I, I didn't say hi to someone, but it's just not how I want to be, so go back. I hear the small voice of God. And if I, if I have to answer those questions, well, it's been a while, I go, Well, then I'm going to do that. I, I, I'm going to seek after the things of God. When's the last time I prayed just because I, I just wanted to be in His presence? So ask myself those Christians, I want to have a soft heart to God. I've been doing this uh, you know, ministry for you know, 28 years, a Christian for a lot longer, 38 years or something. I still want to be thirsty. I still want to be in the house of God, not because I have to, but because I want to. Because it's my heart, it's my desire, it's it's where God could speak to me. I still want to listen to worship. I still want to read the Word. You know, as I'm reading the Word, see, this this week, to be honest, on Friday, I was feeling sick. I'm feeling sick. I don't really want to have to prepare a message. I had these things I had to do in the morning, so I knew I was only going to have the afternoon, which I don't like doing normally. I try and make the Friday, the whole day that I can prepare my message. And I was just feeling sick. And then I had this thing in the afternoon, and so I couldn't do it. I had these things, and I was under pressure. And then I feel God say, Preach this John 4. I go, I don't want to, know. it means I've got to study this whole thing. Because I, in my mind, had decided, I'll just get a message I preached in 2013, right? No one will remember it, right? Only Kent will remember it, right? And, uh, right? and, uh, right? Like, and, and I'll just jizzy it up, tell a different story, and, and that'll be good. But God's going, no, Ma. I want you to seek me. I want you to seek me. And you know, if it was only to get, that revelation, that that woman wasn't having an argument with Jesus, but she'd actually got it. And it was her thirst that said, "I just want Jesus." That was worth all those hours. Brilliant. Does it make sense? One little snippet of the Word of God when you see it afresh for the first time, let me tell you, it's oh, living water. It's fantastic, it's refreshing, it's wonderful. But if we're not seeking after it, we never have those moments. It's taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, when Nina was on holidays, or no holidays, she wasn't on holidays, she was looking after her mum. When Nina was away, I went to uh, Woolworths one night, and when I went past there, I saw this lobster, right? And it was there, and I go, you know what? I'm going to get a whole lobster. (laughs) No one is home, right? And I bought his lobster, it was $26. It was not bad, I was, I was happy with that price. It was $26, right? It was funny, when I went through the, uh, the what, do you, what is it? checkout, right? So it, it came to like $3 because I bought some Kit Kats as well. I'm going, I don't think that's right. I, there's four items here. I, I, one of two. And the guy's, no, no, look, it's four. I go, no, it's definitely not right, <laughs> right? And uh, so his boss came and he was very happy that I was honest, right? So I went home and I cut this lobster in half and I ate this lobster. And let me tell you, it was awesome. I don't think I've had lobster for 30 years, right? So my, my dad, his, his company had a uh, crayfish manufacturing plant. Not my own, it was an accountant. It wasn't his company, unfortunately. But uh, uh, so we would get lobster and crayfish all the time, big lobsters. And, and so I loved it, but I hadn't ever done that because it's kind of like expensive and I thought I'm just ate had a whole lobster <laughs> it was unbelievable the, the, the taste of lobster is just amazing right so a, a thousand angels started dancing on my <laughs> on my tongue right so when you get a nugget out of the word that's what it's like I want to I want to say to you if you've never had that Ask the Holy Spirit to show you something from heaven. It changes everything about the Word. It Because nothing I've got to read the Bible because Pastor Mark said. Right? It's a, it's a Word made flesh, as uh, Dave Gilpin said. So he's not the Word, it's the Word made flesh. When it becomes real. When it becomes life. I want to stir you today. How thirsty are you for that? to taste and see that the Lord is good. See, it's the, it's the living water that's inside you that keeps you satisfied. You don't have to follow the outward things because you follow the inward leanings of the Spirit of God. It goes on. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Her understanding now leads her to the ultimate revelation. Jesus is the Messiah. Then there's a lot of people will say, Jesus never explicitly said that he was the Messiah. You need to take them to this verse because he explicitly says, I who you are talking to am he. Now we see the effect of a thirsty heart being filled to overflowing with living water. John four twenty seven. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She's like, this can't be the Christ, can it? She believes more than what she's saying, but she's careful to how she says it because she's talking to a people that have rejected her, to people who kind of like have kind of marginalised her because she's a sinful woman who many of them would have regarded her as trash. Many of the women would have been scared of her. Maybe she's going to try and con on with one of their husbands, right? This man told me everything that I did. She's not shameful anymore. She's not trying to hide it all anymore because Jesus has has brought it out but now redeemed it, has made something beautiful out what was just a a mess. And, and, And they respond in great numbers. What does it say? Verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. This woman who the townspeople thought nothing of, who was of such little consequence in that community that she would have to come out at unusual times to get water. Someone who most people probably thought was just trash now has a power within her that is able to convince the whole town folk to come and hear what Jesus said. How amazing is that? She immediately becomes an evangelist. And it's not because someone said, you got to go and tell people about Jesus. It's like this guy at even. This is what happened. This is what happened. When I got saved, I didn't even know a church like this existed. Literally had no idea until I walked in and gave my life to Christ. And I literally went everywhere and told people about Jesus. i go back to the footy club with all my friends. I would take them and I'd tell them all about Jesus. I remember just after getting saved, it was a Melbourne Cup day. I unfortunately just had a few too many uh, other beverages that day. And we had a speaker at church that night. And I got all these people to come from the footy club who were all a little under the weather like I was. And we all sat there and listened. And, and God, God, I was just telling everyone. No one had to tell me. Because living water. And you know what? 39 years later, this living water is still keeping me thirsty. It's still keeping me, it's still keeping me satisfied. It's still keeping me satisfied. Do I go through hard times, difficult times? Yes. But i got some water. What does water do? It refreshes you. You know, when you're on a marathon, they hand you that water. And they drink that water. You don't sit down and actually analyse the water. You keep running. But it refreshes you to keep on running. That's what God is saying. How thirsty are you? There's a race for you to run. There's a fight for you to have. This is going to refresh you. It's going to keep you running. It's going to deal with the out satisfactions in your life because when all of a sudden I'm not getting where I want to in work. I haven't got enough money. as what I'd like. Uh, this is going on in my marriage. This is what's happening with my kids. Oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to have a drink. Ah, living water. Okay, God, let's roll out with this. Let's deal with this. I don't need that extra money anyway. I've got you. I don't need this. God, I, I have faith. I've got a word. I've got something that you're going to move in those other circumstances.